Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. I'm your host, William Hayashi, and this is the, oh, what is it? It's the, oh, the 2nd of August. 2019. The year is kind of flying by, although, well, I, I can't say that. I mean, July was kind of vicious. I think the weather everywhere was a little hard on people in July, and uh, but I, I, I can't complain. You know, in Chicago here, we've had, we get up around 80, and then at night, it's back down in the 60s. Um, it's, it's been really pleasant. Tonight's special guest is Eric Sheffield, and I, he's got a story to tell already, which I'm going to ask him about. He's, uh, well, I mean, he, he's, he's got numerous threats. He uh, is the uh, owner and the founder of EDJ Comics, and we'll find out what EDJ stands for, and we'll find out about, uh, you know, his lineage, because apparently he's uh, related to somebody we all know. So welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you for being here, man. Hey, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. How you doing? I'm I'm not bad. And and so you know, well, be, anyone listening before the show heard it, but but uh, Eric is actually not that far from me. He's in DeKalb. I used to have some friends and family friends, you know, when I was living with my folks, who lived in DeKalb's, and it's and it's not that far a drive. You know, I'm on the north side of Chicago, so it's kind of cool speaking to somebody nearby. Um, and and yeah, is, I man. know what the weather is, you know, so we kind of killed that. But but do me a favor, man. Tell me how you met Jarvis and how you found out you were related. Ah, okay. This <laughs> this is going to be a funny story. Uh, so we both, uh, I, I met him at the LitCon in Florida that Jeff Curl was uh, heading up uh on june on june 15th and i never been to miami before so i drove down there from dekalb right so that was about a about a 21 22 hour drive i mean just straight through man i think the only time i really stopped was just to get gas uh, so I, I made pretty good time uh i got there on friday night because the event was on a saturday uh so fast forward to saturday we're a couple hours into the event and, uh, you know, I had my booth set up and everything, and uh, somebody came up to me, and they're like, hey, uh, you you Sheffield? I said, yeah, my name's Eric Sheffield. They're like, are you related to that other Sheffield? And I, and I said, what other Sheffield are you talking about? <laughs> and so they're like, there's another guy that's uh, named uh, Jarvis on the other side, and he was like two rows, you know, uh, over from me. So I said sure. to myself, I said, let me let me go check uh, check out, see who this guy is. Um so I go over there and uh, and I started talking to him and uh you know I just kind of figured out well you know Sheffield is pretty you know could be just another Sheffield I I ran into that situation before in the military you know no big deal so uh, we started talking about family union and stuff like that and so yeah he was telling me yeah there's one coming up and uh, he told me the location I said that was the one I was looking at you know trying to attend for my family so. Yeah, so, like, we're cousins, and I had no idea, but he just, uh, you know, um, 
we may we talk for hours after that. And uh, Jarvis is a pretty good dude. Uh, so we've been yeah, uh, staying in touch since then, you know. So yeah, that was that was kind of a uh, fortuitous for me, um, you know. And given the fact that he in, invited me to talk on the show today, I thought that was really really cool of him. But yeah, I had no idea, uh, no idea at all that we were related. Well, I I wondered when, uh, you know, I got the notification that there was a show and that you were the guest, and I think, hmm, I thought, hmm, well, he doesn't look young enough to be Jarvis's son or anything, and I don't, and I didn't remember whether or not he had, you know, a sibling, a brother, so, you know, I just wondered. So that's kind of cool, too. And and so... um, you're a publisher right now, right? You own the the, uh, the comic publishing company. Yeah. So uh, if you want to, yeah, I can dive into that right yeah. now. If you want to wait for a little. Yeah. No. Okay. No. I'm just uh, curious because. Well, okay. Let's do this. I the thing that I've noticed, and I've interviewed probably maybe about uh, 35, 40 different, well, maybe even more, because I've been doing this for about almost seven years now. Um. The thing that I find in common with a lot of people who do comic books is that, you know, the day they picked up that crayon or colored pencil or whatever at the age of one and a half or two or three or whatever, um, they they started drawing and they really never looked back. Um, were were you like that? Were you one of those people who who you know had an affinity for art and you know pushed it to you know, get to the point where you're you're your own publisher. Um, I can remember as far back as to like around uh, you know like kindergarten, first, second grade, and you know I was uh, you know filling around with just drawing random stuff, and uh, I, I remember in, in kindergarten I had this really weird comic, and my and my brothers can attest to this. We still kind of we kind of talk about it to this day, and uh, it was really it was funny now that I think about it, but it was a. Uh, this was kindergarten. It was a comic. It was called a uh, uh, Snake Man versus Glue Man. That that was the name of it. And so, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's pretty much you know I you know just basically it's like random just random shapes like a triangle for the body, a circle for the head, stuff like that. Uh, but I I do that all throughout uh throughout kindergarten and first and second grade, and it was just you know just them battling each other in different scenarios like that. Um. And I, I guess for a while I, I took, uh, you know, I, I took a break. You know, you start getting into other stuff, playing instruments and stuff like that. But that was pretty much how it, it kind of kicked off for me. And then um, over time it kind of grew. Now I got a long story attached to that, how I got into uh, uh, the animation and stuff like that. Um, you know, if you got any other questions, I, I can fast forward to then, or you know, we want to uh, jump right in and ask well, something I guess, else. I, I am kind of curious. I mean, you know, obviously. You know, drawing is a big deal. Art is, and and you know, like you said, you you pick up other interests and things like that. But was it was it something that even when you had your other interests, did it kind of sustain you through you know school, through high school, through grammar school, things like that, or or did, was it something that you know fell by the wayside? You picked it up later. And and the other thing I'm curious about was, did you take classes to help refine your art? Because I'm I'm still at the Mickey Mouse stage where I draw three <laughs> fingers on one hand and a thumb because I can't right, get right. that fourth finger in without looking like a mutant. Um, so so I I have I honestly have I have so much respect for people 
who can who draw and draw well, who ink and ink well, who color and color well, because it's it's completely outside my purview. You know, I'm 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 a, a pretty decent author, but man, you know. Um, you know, how was it for you? Did did you have an affinity for it, and and did you did you grow it? You know, through through some instruction, or 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 were, did you just you know some people just start out so well, you know, and so young. I remember kids in grammar school who could draw like right out of a comic book. What was it like for you? Oh, for me, it was um like I said about after second grade. I I just took a, a long I ever say a long sabbatical, but just like you know, I got interested in other things. And um, I my dad, like I said, I was I was born in 1981, and so growing up in the 80s, my my dad was a real stickler for uh you know everything that we watched was like age appropriate. So if we were like seven or eight, you know, we weren't seeing PG thirteen movies. Uh, you know, that's how sure. that's how it was back then. You know, <laughs> you know, he was he was pretty hard with that. But I mean, you know, you don't want your kids to see certain things. I mean, you kind of control that. I mean, not now because we have access to the internet and everything like that. But that's right. the way it was. Um, except for one movie, and it was uh, it was 1989's Batman. And I see, I was so I was like eight or nine, around nine at the time. And um, I was approaching nine, and I remember that movie came out, and my dad was just, he was a huge Batman fan. And I remember being in Detroit, he drove us out to the uh, Ford Wyoming Drive-In Theater. And we went there, and we saw that Batman movie, and it just blew my mind. And it kind of scared me a little bit, too, because, I mean, I was used to seeing the Adam West Batman. You know, he's right. running around kind of being a little goofy, you know, dancing and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> a TV-type Batman. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he was he was partying. You know, he was having a ball. Um, and, and so when I saw the trailer for that Batman movie, I remember that uh, the one scene where he was flying around in the Batmobile, and I, I think it was one of the trailers, and they show him in the bat in the Batwing. I'm sorry, and he's flying down, and you see him shooting Joker's thugs, and you know, with missiles and stuff like that. And uh, it scared the crap out of me as a kid. You know, I'm like, oh crap, Batman's not playing. You know, so. Uh, my dad's like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, and so I'm thinking, I don't have to worry about seeing that. My dad's not going to take me to see that, you know? And so he's like, everybody jump in the car. We're going to see Batman. So we go to see Batman. And uh, we must have saw that movie about, honestly, about three or four times at the at the drive-in theater uh, before it came uh-huh. out on VHS. And, uh, yeah, wow. I, just, I, I just love that movie, man. I think to right now, I think it's still one of my, in my top five, uh, most favorite movies of all time when it comes to, like comic book movies. Um, sure. so I think that kind of like reignited a little bit more. And then I started getting back into comics again. And, um, I, I remember picking up the, uh, my dad didn't know I had it, but I picked up a copy of the killing joke. And, uh, you know, that, that is, anybody who's familiar with the killing joke, it's, it's a pretty hardcore comic book. Um, so I, I picked it up and I, I read it and I was like, the art in this is amazing and not just the art, but the story as well. And so at that point it, it kind of started me getting into, uh, writing stories again. So more so writing stories than uh, the actual artwork. Um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, it just, it just jumped off from that. And then fast forward to, uh, uh ninth grade, I had a, I was in a, a Japanese class. I went to Martin Luther King junior high school in Detroit. And uh, we had to take a, you know, had to take, he had to take a foreign language. So my Japanese teacher was Mrs. Haywood. 
and uh, she, you know, traveled back and forth from Detroit to Japan. And so I remember being in her class one day, and she said, hey, uh, students, we're going to sit down, and we're going to watch something called anime. And I'm like, oh, what the, what the heck is that? I don't know what anime is. I'm in ninth grade, you know, 13 years old. I don't know anything about anime. And uh, mm-hmm. the movie she played was, uh, was a fifth sort of North Star. <laughs> um, and, yeah, that's a pretty violent anime. You know, the guy's hitting other guys in the head and the parts of fighting and their heads are blowing up and stuff like that. And I was just amazed by the artwork and just the storytelling of it all. And um, that just, you know, got me back into loving just the, the animation and the storytelling um, aspect of just, you know, creating your own characters. And, uh, yeah, I just, just from there, uh, I started doing a little bit of stuff here and there. And like I said, it was more writing than anything else. Um, I jumped into the military uh, at 18. And at that time, I was like, I really wanted to do a comic book. But I was going all the time. And, you know, I was overseas in, in the Gulf during uh, Enduring Freedom. So I didn't have time mm-hmm. to, you know, really flesh out anything. But people that knew me knew that I wanted to do a comic book. So, you know, I mean, they, it, it took another backseat while I was out, you know, serving serving our country. Um, so when I got back, I was working for a while. And I, I think, actually, I, I picked it up again like a couple of years ago. And I said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in my 30s. I said, I think now I can do it and actually focus on it and, and make it something viable. Because really, if I would have been in my 20s, honestly, I, I probably would have just messed over it and, you know, not taken care of it. I mean, you know, you, in your 20s, you do stupid things all the time. Um, thank you for, thankfully for oh, me, that oh. wasn't one of them. Oh, you heard about I'm me. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, man, I was, I was brief before the interview, man. <laughs> Man, you know, I was so lucky, and I'll tell you why I was lucky. I I was in my twenties during the disco era, and and I was a DJ. Oh, wow. I was both a club and a radio DJ. And I'm oh man, you, I, got, I gotta ask, I gotta ask for you continue. Did you have an afro? Uh, yeah, I you did. As a matter of you fact, uh, if you go if, go go on to Facebook, you'll see my little afro. I've not posted my big ass eight inch afro anywhere. Not because ah, I'm ashamed nice. of it. It's just that I haven't I haven't dug out any of those pictures. But yeah, when I was a DJ and I was working the club, I had like an eight inch afro. I had gradient glasses, you know, because uh, I, I had to wear glasses <laughs> until I got those extended wear contacts. I was one of the first people in the United States to get extended wear contacts where you could wear, you know, you could sleep in them. And the reason why wow. I did that, excuse me for saying, was because I ended up in too many strange bedrooms. And I got tired of not being able to see what the what was going on, and, and so <laughs> I got I got into this investigational program, and this this uh, this uh, eye guy in actually in Green Bay, Wisconsin, was one of the investigational guys, and so that was uh, that that greatly augmented my 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 DJ career. And then, oh, wow. and my, my standard uniform was a, uh, a kind of a grayish-blue jumpsuit with gold zippers and six-inch platform shoes. Nice, man. Okay. You have the fishing so, shoes, so too? Say, yeah, say, well, <laughs> I, I, I don't... I, I don't want to open that box, okay? The box ah. is in my closet <laughs> with all those okay, pictures. Okay. And I know if I go in there... I'm going to act a fool and, and, and post something that's really stupid. Now, I just posted a picture of me, you know, 
running a sailing program. I ran the sailing program on campus, uh, you know, uh, in Green Bay. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll post a picture like that, but I, I, I have to be careful. I really have to be careful because, uh, you know, people can be cruel. People can definitely that be is cruel. True. And, you that know, is you true. Put, you, put, you put yourself out there on social media and you get what you get, you know? So Right, right. But, yeah, my 20s, and, and we'll talk about doing stupid stuff, you know, uh, yeah, the 20s, the 20s are definitely for that. Um, and, and I'm guessing you grew up kind of like in the Detroit, in the Detroit area? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny, like, growing up in Detroit and, um, you know, at the time, it's, you know, I – one of the things, one of the things I can attest to being in the military was it kind of it kind of got me out of my box because you know growing up in Detroit, I mean the only you know uh, other races of people I saw around there besides you know uh, uh, you know African Americans like me um, was you know of course the uh, you know um, some some white people there as well and the, you know the sure. uh, Arabs that ran the gas stations you know what I mean that that was pretty much it. Right. Um, so yeah, going to the military, man. I mean it was I you know I was like wow I really. I really live in a small box and I was meeting people from other countries and we were, you know, defending, defending the United States, you know, on a couple of destroyer class uh, ships in the, in the military, man. So it was, um, you know, I meet people from Jamaica, from Singapore, from Thailand, um, from the Philippines. So it was really cool. It was, it was really cool. So that, I guess me being in that, uh, in that area helped kind of like expand my mind a little bit more and make me realize that, Oh, you know, there's, you know, if I'm just, living in a box in Detroit thinking I know everything. And once I get out and I see the world, like how many other people, you know, have the same experience and what stories do they have to tell? So, you know, as a storyteller, it kind of makes you think about, okay, now you're seeing the world from not just your perspective, but but other people's perspective as well. And I I think that always helps when you're, when you're developing stories and developing the different type of characters. I was just going to say that, that I, I, you know, the the kind of travel and exposure that you had to the world does make you a much much better storyteller because um, not only have you been exposed to other you know uh, other perspectives but more than the exposure it gives you a lot more places to hang your hat when you do tell a story you can put more in it you know you can you can write more knowledgeably about about you know the unusual or at least not the right, standard right. that you grew up with you know so that that's pretty cool um, <clears throat> excuse me now oh, um, no now i spoke i spoke japanese until i was about i don't know maybe 10 because my dad's japanese but his parents didn't speak very much english um did you did you achieve a level of proficiency with your Japanese that allowed you to be conversational? Uh, well, in, in ninth grade, it was at that point where you had to, like, you, we had certain assignments where it was like, okay, you have to, you and a friend are going to, uh, let's say, for example, McDonald's, and you have to pretty much come up with a whole entire dialogue back and forth. Oh, yeah. You know, of you right. walking to one place, you know. No, that was ninth grade, man. That was years ago, so I don't... So I don't well, wait a like, minute. You know, didn't didn't you, didn't you have the uh, the whole conversation? Every single language, um, at least the, the the curriculum here in the United States, uh, there's there's that conversation where you're talking about where you have to go to the library. 
<laughs> and of course, all the Romance languages. It's uh, uh, in in German. It was comes to mit in the Bibliothèque and uh, French. You know, is Bibliothèque, and you know, it's so I I, right, right. I, I just assumed. You know, um, I don't remember oh, ever knowing the word <laughs> for for library in Japanese. But it's been so long. I would have to be immersed probably for a year before I could get conversational. Um, well, but it's it's pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's kind of cool that that was what you chose. Or, or was that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of chose it. I, I think at the time it was it was it was Japanese, French, and uh, I think it was. They also had a choice of German, and I I think Spanish as well. So, you know, at the time, you know, like I said, this is what uh, 1993. So Japanese kind of appealed a little bit more to me. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? I'll go ahead and you know and learn that. Um, given given my, given my age now, you know, there's a lot of time has passed, but. Uh, being in the military, one thing that uh, helped was the Japanese helpless was that I, you know, at that time, the uh, and you might be familiar with this, um, there was a craze of people were getting all these, uh, you know, Japanese characters as tattoos and stuff like that. And so I remember, you know, being over being overseas and, and my buddies would get tattoos and stuff like that. And I remember, you know, from class, like there's, you know, uh, Japanese has, uh, I'm sorry, uh, have three different alphabets, you know. You have a uh, right. katakana, hiragana, and kanji. And, kanji, uh, yeah. So, yeah, right. So then they're like, oh well, they would get a tattoo and like, guy. Well, the guy said it means this. It means brave warrior. Blah blah blah. And I would look at it like, <laughs> no man, that's not what it means. <laughs> like he just, you know, I'm serious, man. It was hilarious. <laughs> Uh, but that was a big craze at the time, man. So I, I never got it. Weirdly enough, I never got a <clears> tattoo when I was in the military, man. I just uh, the tattoos I have now, I got them about three, three and a half years ago. So I, I just wasn't, you know, I, I just wasn't into that at the time. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it helped me recognize, recognize a lot of, you know, uh, mistakes that were made on purpose on the side of the tattoo artist. Um, but yeah, that was, I, that was pretty funny. <laughs> I was pretty, <clears throat> excuse me, I was pretty stupid when uh, I was uh, transitioning from eighth grade to high school. I was taking French and German at the same time, which was, it, it was, was kind of strange. And, you know, I, I, got, um, I got fairly conversational in both languages for a while there. And then nothing, you know, there's, there's hardly any, any, any reason for me to speak either of those languages, you know, doing what I do or, you know, in the last 30 years. But then I went and saw that Tarantino film, In- Inglorious Bastards. Ah, okay, yeah. I like that one. And and it's, oh, it's, it, it, I think it's his best film. Um, but anyway, I am, you know, there's there's French, German, Italian, English, I think that's it. But but as as the people were speaking French and German and I'm reading the subtitles, I was like you with your buddy's tattoos. I'm going, that's not what they said. You know? <laughs> you know, it it was it was all coming back to me. I was and I and I was getting frustrated with myself because I'm trying not to read it and listen to it, but I was reading it. So it it was just a it was just a crappy a crappy experience the first time I saw it, but then I've seen it a few times, and I really appreciate the writing and the way they act and stuff like that. I, I do. Right. I am curious though. What were your influences in terms of kind of like, you know, you, you said you you were more of a storyteller, and for me, like my dad, 
was a science fiction fan, fanatic, really a fanatic. And in his study, he had... Yeah, he had almost everything from the golden age of science fiction. So he had Heinlein oh, nice. and Asimov and, and, and all, you know, all of the people from the, the 30s, 40s, 50s, and even 60s. And, and so that's what I grew up reading. That and the, then, my, you know, the way my parents uh, sucked my brother and I into learning um, outside the upstairs, the, the upstairs bathroom was the bookcase with all of the reference books. So when you were heading into the bathroom, you know, what book was there to read? Well, you, you'd grab something from the life, time life, you know, nature library or something like that to learn something. But, but I, you know, for me, it was, it was the golden age of science fiction. Um, I remember the first movie I saw um, was... It was a double bill. It, it no, maybe it wasn't a double bill. The first two movies I saw was one was Hatari, and that was with uh, John Wayne, I think. John Wayne. Okay. Know, yeah, yeah. But 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 the the one that really 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 blew my mind was Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. And, oh, okay, nice. Uh, I, I'm going to look up and see how when that came out, but I mean. Um, And so my influences for the television, um, you know, I, it was cool when Voice of the Bottom of the Sea came on television, but I had the original Twilight Zone. I had the original Outer Limits. Oh, man. The Outer Limits scared me so bad that I, in the, we had a black and white TV in the kitchen. We didn't have a TV in the, dining, in the, in the living room. So to watch the Outer Limits, I would get underneath the liquor cart <laughs> so that no monsters could get me. I'm watching from underneath the li- my parents' liquor cart. But that was, that was my influence. I had all of that sort of thing, uh, th- those kinds of TV shows. And then, you know, the other ones that came along later, Batman was a little sci-fi. You know, oh, uh, I thought Mission Impossible was kind of like almost like sci-fi. Um, and, and, you know, Lost in Space and, and stuff like that. So that, that was kind of like, I guess, the entree of science fiction for television, so that was my influence, and it and it it has it stuck with me to the point where the first things that I I ever wrote creatively in 2001 um, were sci-fi novels, and then since then you know some short stories and stuff like that. You you said you you had a similar experience that was kind of like your influence as well. Yeah, yeah, I had um I said like I said again growing up in the 80s it was it was it was different because there was like I remember being a kid and even before I even before I saw the uh, 1989 uh, Batman movie um there was a yeah. lot of stuff that ran from the 50s and 60s on you know regular television in the 80s so I mean I'm I was watching black and white stuff from Disney like uh uh the uh the Mark of Zorro um, with the, right. the the guy that played the father in uh, uh, Lost in Space, um, I can't remember his name escapes me right now. But man, I was that, I was yeah. a big fan of that. I remember uh, dressing up as him in uh, in uh, kindergarten for Halloween. Um, uh-huh. you know, just uh, just that entire thing, you know, captured my imagination. Uh, Lost in Space. Um, uh, more on Disney stuff. There was a it was a show called Gallagher. It was about a young guy that was a reporter, and he would go out and solve crimes and stuff like that. And all this was in black and white. 
Um, I mean, the yeah, the the Disney palette was uh, there. There was a lot going on there, um, and not to mention, you know, all the cartoons in the '80s as well. That was like that was like a big influence at the time as well. Because I mean, I was I was watching mm-hmm. stuff from like you know He Man, Master Universe, Transformers, uh, Silver Hawks, uh, you know, Voltron, the the original Ghostbusters, uh, you know, the one not the uh, before the real Ghostbusters. I think you had one by a, a I I think it was Funimation or Dick Animation. I think at the time. And there was two guys and a gorilla named Casey. And so I remember watching that one before the actual real Ghostbusters cartoon came out with the uh, with Egon Spangler and the rest of those guys there. Um, so, I, I mean, as a kid, I had a, I had a pretty wide palette, man. I was watching all kinds of stuff. Um, and, that, I mean, it, you know, as a kid, you're taking all the information as well. But, yeah, I had scary movies as well, man. I uh, My dad was, like I said, he was a real stickler for, you know, not anything that wasn't age-appropriate besides the Batman. <laughs> but... Um, I would sneak downstairs like on Saturday nights when my dad was watching uh, scary movies on Saturday night with my mom. And, uh, you know, he would catch me, hey, go upstairs, you can't watch this. And uh, so one day I didn't listen, and I snuck down, and uh, they were watching The Howling 4. And if I recall, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, you already know where this story's going, man. <laughs> and uh, I snuck down, and I'm sitting in the living room because we had, a, you know, the living room and then led into the den, and they were watching TV in the den. And so I sat behind the couch real quietly, man, and I watched all of that movie. And, I, and, and that was the one where there was a, they were in a castle. Uh, I don't remember where, where the location was. But it was a really old castle, and they were trying to figure out who the werewolf was because the werewolf was coming out and, you know, killing certain people. And I watched right. an entire movie, man. And, like, I remember going to sleep. I had nightmares for years about werewolves, man. <laughs> it, it, it never went away. <laughs> well, yeah, I could I mean, definitely uh, relate. I could definitely relate. There was an episode of The Outer Limits that would give me a nightmare, and it was called the Xanti Misfits. And they had these little kind uh, these stop-motion bugs that were kind of a, a mixture between this uh, toy called cooties, and they had this weird bearded face and everything and made this weird noise. And when those things appeared in my dream, man, I, eventually I trained myself to just wake, the, just wake up because they, they, right, always, right. <laughs> they, they always just scared the hell out. So, man, I can relate. I can definitely relate. Um, okay, and so now you've got all of these different influences that you've been, you know, that, that you're exposed to. What kinds of, you know, you said you're a storyteller primarily. What kind of stories did you craft? Uh, so for me, I was into, I, I, I like to have a, uh, keep my, my mind open when it came to certain stories. So I, I liked uh, writing horror stories a lot. Um, and also science uh-huh. fiction. Um, my dad, and you know, I, I hope, hopefully, the Picard fans don't crucify me for saying this, but um, I was always a big uh, Captain Kirk fan. Uh, my dad was a big sci-fi fan, and he loved Star Wars, but he liked Star Trek even more. And uh, so, okay. for me, honestly, I have to say that those original six movies with the original crew, you know, Captain Kirk and Spock and uh, and Doctor <laughs> McCoy. To me, were the best ones. I, I like those. I could sit down and watch Star Trek one through six, the original movies, like any any day of the week. I think they're that good still, um, as compared to you know the next generation movies. I'm not knocking them if you know people like those. That's fine. 
I just think the older ones were a little bit, uh, you know, they were crafted, but as far as story was concerned, a little a little bit better than the newer stuff with uh, the Next Generation crew. So um, when it came to, like, sci-fi, for me, that was, like, the go-to. I just liked the story with the, the Cleons, and I, I think they had one that was specifically interesting to me. Uh, I think it was Star Trek V where they were um, – I, I think it would involve uh, uh, Spark, uh, I can't remember, Spock's brother, Cybot. Yeah. And he, he was trying to get to, I guess, heaven where he thought he would see God. And so they got to this planet and, you know, they thought they were talking to God and it was really an alien posing as God. But that was still pretty interesting, right, for, for a kid seeing that. Um, so for me, that was kind of like my go-to when it came to, like, science fiction. Um and so, like, as I got oh, older, I kind of always wanted to tell those type of stories that involve kind of like, you know, cyborgs and robots and space travel and stuff like that. Uh, it was really interesting to me, man. I mean, still to this day, I, I think, like, the, those, the, they're still my favorite Star Trek movies. Um, not, not saying there's anything wrong with Star Wars. I, I like the original Star Wars, the, you know, the newer ones. Eh, not so much, but I think a lot of us can agree on that. Um, but, yeah, this, this, those, those first six Star Trek movies, they, that was it for me. But, um I like to say along the lines of I always like sci-fi, man. I was a big, you know, like anyone else, I can assume, I'm assuming now, you know, a big Ghostbusters fan when that movie came out, you know, Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2, uh, big fan of those. Uh, so right. when I started crafting stories, I, I just kind of, you know, I, I tried to tell stories that was kind of related to that. Um, and so that kind of influences the properties that I, I'm working on now. And to be clear, uh Long story short, like, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're trying to create something, it's really hard. So when I, when I first started really getting serious about it, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this, uh, this comic company. I'm going to try and do these type of uh, IPs. Um, it was really hard trying to uh, one-man army everything by yourself. You know, it takes a lot of time. Um, so I went through this period. I'm assuming that, you know, anybody else can tell the same story where you're, like, trying to, you know, you're trying to find people to help you, you know what I mean, and, and, and yes. get along the same lines. Okay, yeah, you know, get them in line with the vision that you have. And that was that was the process, man. I'm not going to lie. That was the process. Um, you know, and you will meet people that say, yeah, they will meet you at a certain time. They would never show up. And all day they're proficient at doing this, and they were kind of lying about it. So, um, you know, I went through that for a while, and then uh, the team that I work with now, like Edge Comics represents uh, five people all together. So um, myself, uh, there's uh, Osiris, um, there's uh, Willie Roberts, uh, Jessie, that she made our uh, our website. She's very talented. She made our website, and she's like, you know, I sat down with her, told her I wanted something built from scratch, and she gave me exactly what I wanted. So I, I'm really happy about that. And uh, And also Angelina V., um, she's uh, with the uh, character creation. So a lot of people that have seen some of the work that I have at certain conventions, like this last, the last couple conventions, we had a uh, a design for Santa Merte, uh, the goddess of holy death, that is originally designed from Edge Comics uh, that we wanted to kind of tell a story about. So we made a couple of different variations of that character, and people really seemed to gravitate towards her. But that character took a lot of work, and that was um, – me sitting down with Angelina V and us coming up with the, how to design his character. And uh, she's very, very talented, and I just want to put that out right now, like, so, you know, so people know that, hey, we're, we're a group of five people that represent Edge Comics, 
and um, we're always looking into to doing other properties. Um, we, uh, I'm working with one guy now that's a uh, friend of my sister's, and he had a very interesting story. He came to me with this, you know, uh, notes that he had written down. He said, hey, man, I got, a, I got an idea for a, an immortal story, and, but I don't know how to pin it. I don't know how I want it to look, but I have this idea in my head. And so I talked to him over email and everything like that. And so uh, some people have seen the cover, but the story is called Hell and Back. Um, and it's about uh, a guy called Amen that, uh, unbeknownst to him, becomes immortal in the 1300s. And so uh, it's basically about how he lives his life up until the point that he dies and, you know, how he pretty much he can live an entire life and die by whatever uh, you know, heart attack, whatever, what have you, and go back to being the same age he was when he first became immortal. So I think that adds a lot more spice to the story about telling a story about an immortal, you know what I mean? Um, sure. But we're helping him with that. So we're we're four <clears throat> pages, including the cover, into that right now. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoy that, man. He he had a really good idea. And I said, hey, we can take that and we can absorb it in the Edge Comics while at the exact same time giving him – the credit for the story because it's his story and we're just we're just helping him flesh it out but i really feel uh i really feel blessed man i have the the crew that uh, we all work as a unit uh we have a real love for material and just creating you know new stories man that people haven't seen and i i think that's why for me personally i think when you look at the artwork you can kind of see it in the characters because we keep trying to bring you know fresh and you know brand new things to to, to people to see, and um, so hopefully we keep we keep doing it, man. I, I really enjoy doing it. That's great. Um, let let everybody know where they can take a look at your work online. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, if you go go on, go on to the edgecomics.com. Uh, that's e d j comics.com, and you'll see everything there. Uh, the Kofi comic is on the uh, very first page. Um, we also have a store tab. That you can go there, you can buy uh, posters of the characters that you know you want, um, and also we run a contest for kids every month. So let's say you have a, and it's anyone that's 16 years old and under. So if they have an idea for a character, like you know, let's just for example, let's just say it's like Bomberman or something <clears throat> like that, and they're like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, I drew this, and you know, it doesn't have to be an extravagant drawing or anything like that, but if it's a good idea and they have a, a nice background behind the the character. We'll take that character, actually turn him into a, a you know physical being, put him in the comic book, and then also uh, animate the kid as well that drew him or came up with the idea, and then animate them in the comic book as well. And they also get a, a $50 cash prize. So we do this every month to try and get people involved in the, the whole process with Edge Comics. And um, I think it, it, it goes, it's been going really well. And I, I just want – I'm at that point now where I want to get more people to – have their kids turn in stuff because I think it's a really good way to involve the young kids in, uh, you know, in the uh, creation of a comic book. And and all of your work is kid appropriate, I take it. Yes, well, yes, we have uh, Kofi. I, I think any 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 young kid can uh, can read the first comic book, which is Kofi. Um, the the second issue is it's called Assassin's Cadence, and so. Uh, with the story of Kofi, you have a superpower. You know, in in our universe, Kofi is pretty much the only superpowered black man running around. And so, you know, in response to that, I I, I think what I try to do with that story is say, hey, whether the thing that bothered me about stuff like Luke Cage and stuff like that, not knocking anything like that. I love the Luke Cage show that was on Netflix. Um, I, I for me, I I kind of wanted more of 
uh, and that's his character. He's in Harlem. I understand that, but I, I kind of wanted more of a character that was like, you know, had the stuff he was doing had international implications. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like if you have this guy flying around saving people and stuff like that, how is the world actually? I mean, really, really like for example, like us right now, like how would we react to seeing a guy flying around? You know what I mean? Able to stop bullets and 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 save people from you know whatever type of catas- catastrophes and being invincible. I mean, a lot of people will freak out. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I try to. Well, that was the. Oh, what, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt, but man. Oh no, you're you fine. You're fine. That, here's here's the the first thought across my mind. Okay, to have a black superhero doing that with this dumbass president that we have right now and what the <laughs> long-term, short-term, near-term, far-term, in-your-face implications of what would happen today if we had a brother who could do that with this president in office. Oh, right. see, now, that, that, that's a series of novels right there. Yeah, um, you know? I I kind of I I kind of feel the same way. I kind of feel the same way, and you know it, it was a little fortuitous, and you know it's for even though it's really <laughs> messed up, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the the way things have been going, but it's kind of like you know when you're whenever you write a story, and I'm sure anyone can attest to this, is that you write a couple different versions, and kind of like over time, you know it it kind of takes on a life of its own, and as the as uh, things around you evolve. evolve the story of that character kind of evolved. So I, I evolved the story of Kofi maybe maybe two or three times before I got to what I have right now. Um, but it was just like sure. you kind of have to make a decision on whether you want to cross that line or not. You know, like, hey, do I want to keep this keep this something political or do I want to kind of have like, you know, kind of tell oh, a yeah. real story even though it's fiction, you know what I mean? But, I mean, I think there would be, like you said, real-world implications for somebody that was doing that. You know, how would – how would uh, the government look at him? What would they want to do about him? You know what I mean? Uh, whose side is he on? That type of stuff. But I, I think you would also have a lot of relig- religious organizations, you know, asking questions like, hey, is he Jesus? You know, is he God? You know, what religion does he represent? And you will have all these different religious leaders trying to lay claim to him like, oh, well, he represents us, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and we need to talk <laughs> to him because he's part, you know what I mean? Like, that's seriously yeah, no, me. I know. I know. You know, and it's funny because uh, here's a a concrete example. In the last, I would say in the last five years especially, but we're going back almost ten years. But in the last five years, I have watched probably maybe, maybe 30 people try to lay claim to the term Afrofuturism. You know what I mean? Where you want to kind of, they they want to own it. They want to own it. They want to be, you know, the the Afrofuturist, futurist of the futurists so that they are, they are, they are the, uh, the, the, uh, I had the word, but it it left. It'll come back. But that they are, you know, they are the the front and center. And and so, yeah, you know, you, you present some pretty cool ideas. Now, when you write your stories, um, you know, it sounds a little bit like you're kind of straddling the line. I mean, give give us an example, like the Kofi one. You know, that's the first one, right? Yes. Yep. Can you can, just give 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 a little 
bit a synopsis of the story it, because it, it sounds like it straddles a couple genres. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it, which is good because it's not, it's not like a cookie-cutter fit. You know how people like to just say something is something and then forget about it because they've classified it, therefore it requires no further thought. But, but can you give right. us a little bit of a synopsis of the story? so that Because I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, because I kind of want to see where you're writing, what perspective you're writing from, and, and you know, yeah, I just want to yeah, know sure. a little bit more about it. Oh, man, yeah, that's a, that's a very, very good question. Thanks for asking. Um, I, so pretty much the idea of Kofi at the time came from I, w- I was trying to develop a character and I want to tell these type of stories. And it was just the look of the character that was kind of, you know, kind of a lo- a lo- uh, perturbed me a little bit because I wanted to do something original, but, you know, that had like it was almost like, you know, uh, you can kind of test it to something that was real. And so uh, sure. a, a friend of mine, uh, his name was Tedford Hope, um, he was actually making his transition into uh, West African spirit, spirituality, uh, which is the uh, Akan religion um, that he was getting into. And so I, I kind of talked to him about, you know, what he was doing and how he was getting into it and stuff like that and what certain things represented. And so for me, I'm like, man, that's pretty interesting. And I, I think instead of just having this superpower character just flying around and just like you said, just another cookie cutter, Oh, he's got heat rays coming out of his eyes, and you know he can, you know, move faster than a speeding bullet and jump over buildings. I, I kind of, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to do that, so I, I kind of wanted to, with that aspect, like I, I think it added a little bit more depth to the character, and also you now you're looking into uh, explaining more things about uh, West African spirituality in Ghana and uh, the uh-huh. deities that are involved with that religion, and so with Kofi. Uh, he's pretty much, uh, he was born in uh, Los Angeles, and he was kind of moved over to Ghana as a kid um, and trained to be in a Kumfo. Now, in a Kumfo is pretty much a, a West African priest. And so uh, given the aspect of that religion, um, I figured something I added with his character, I said, hey, you know what would be cool is that if the deities that are involved in the Khan religion are the ones that kind of like guide him on his quest to to be a hero, and so okay. um, when he shows up in the first comic, it, it's not on his own. It's pretty much he's there um, because the uh, oh, excuse me, the uh, Akan deities or however you want to call them, gods or whatever, they kind of guide him there to save this guy that's that's dying or has died. And so that's pretty much um, on the poster I have with Kofi uh, when it says my ancestors guide me. It's taking it really, really literally because that's in essence his character. And so not only feeding off of the power of the, you know, the West African deities that you know that uh, power him, but also of any, uh, you know, the, any past slave that has died, you know, um, horrifically in the past 400, 500 years. Uh, he also has the knowledge of that person and can call on their spirit for uh, strength as well. So he's pretty much, you know, given that aspect of the character, he's pretty much, you know, like a almost a godlike character, but he still keeps his humanity because he's still, you know, he's still learning. He's He doesn't even know all of the powers that are available to him. You know what I mean? The, the gods inside him just kind of like tell him, hey, you can do this, you can do that. And he's like, okay, whatever, I guess I could do that. And so as a character, he's constantly growing. And so I think that's what I like about his character. So he'll never stay 
the same throughout the story. And so I figured, like, like you said, hey, this could be a series of books because the character has a chance to actually evolve over time, and I think people can connect more with a character when they see that and not just like, oh, he's swooping in, saving somebody, oh, the cat saved, blah, 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 you know, and, and you know, wash, rinse, repeat over and over again, um, <laughs> you know, so well, I Well, no, I you're right. Character yeah, no, I have to – I agree. Um, and, and really, the characters are what bring people back to a series. You know, comic books right. are essentially series. Um, I write books in series. Um, I, 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 I very rarely do a one-off novel every now and then. But, yeah, no, it's, if, you can, if you can extend out your character arcs, your plot arcs, and your story arcs, you know, and, and have them continue on like real life. It was something that I realized. Here's what it was. Um, when I finished my first book, I realized I actually had to write a trilogy because there was too much that was not explained in the first book. So I had to write two more books. But when I got to the third book, I was thinking about life. And you know what? The, the, the matter, the, the, like you and I, okay, you and I have lunch. We talk about stuff. We, we talk about the things that we do, you know, what we like, whatever, whatever, you know, the way people have lunch. And yet, You'll go back to DeKalb, I'll head back to the north side or, you know, whatever, whatever, however that worked out, and our lives keep on going. And, and really, if you write your stories, if you craft your stories, especially your comic books, so that that continuity is assumed in the minds of the readers, they're going to keep coming back if they like the characters. Is that what you're finding? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that totally. I, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's storyboard or anything else. I mean, then the artwork helps, don't get me wrong. It's, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. you you got to have one and the other. I think that the artwork can be great, but if, like, the character's just like, you know, ah, he's just like, you know, a carbon copy of this character, he just looks different, people kind of, you know, you know, like, ah, okay, well, I've, I've seen that before. I mean, I, I, I think that's one, and like I said, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to poop on any other comic companies that are out there, but I'm not going to oh, name no, no, no. Yeah. certain companies, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, some of them are just like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, we're going to take the, you know, the black version of this character or, you know, it, it's kind of like, which is fine, whatever. I mean, you know, that, that's what they want to do. That's fine. But to me, it's like, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot more that could be done with original character instead of just saying, hey, this character is a student of such and such, or, you know what I mean? And, and they're pretty much the same, but this character is a little bit smarter, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, I mean, to me, that falls kind of flat. Um, sure. I'm not going to for doing it. I mean, if people, you know, like those books, that's great. You know, you read what you want to read. That's the best thing about, you know, comic books is that, you know, if the story is something that you like, hey, Godspeed, man. Uh, or woman, you know, read what you want. Um, but for me, it's kind of like I, I kind of want something more um, with, you know, with characters. And for me, like, original characters are the best. And that's one thing I love about going to these uh, different events is that, you know, a lot of people complain about, hey, man, this company's been doing this, and it's kind of like regurgitating the same thing over and over again. But uh, there there's a lot of independent independent media that's out there, and there's a lot of people that are telling some really cool stories, man. And I And I hope that you know, those people that are complaining about not seeing enough independent media actually go to some of these events 
and check out what these independent creators are doing and support them because it's awesome work. I mean, Jeff Carroll invited me out to the Florida LitCon um, when I was at Wayne State University doing a show last year. Um, and I kind of heard of Jeff Carroll, and, like, when he said his name, I'm like, you know how somebody says something to you, like, man, that sounds familiar. And, it, and uh-huh. he oh, yeah, oh, yeah. The time. <laughs> and then I got home and I sat out and I was like, Jeff Carroll, like, oh, you know, damn, okay, that's Jeff Carroll. So I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to go out. And so it, it kind of reinvigorates you a little bit when you get around other people that are doing the same thing that, that you are doing, you know, like, okay, now it, it, you want to, you know, it kind of gives you a, a little push to keep doing what you're doing. Um, because it, it, it can get hard at times, man, especially when, like, you're – when you first start out and you're pretty much – you're an independent artist, a storyteller, or author, and you're kind of putting your own money into it, and you're at that stage where you're trying to get it out there and trying to get people to recognize it. And I'm pretty sure that any independent creator can attest to this, where it's like, you know, yeah, you're putting the content out there and stuff like that, but, you know, everybody's liking it, but they're not really supporting you you know what I mean, in a way that could help you to create more content. And so for me, I kind of needed to get over that a little bit because it was a little disconcerting in the very beginning, you know, like, okay, like, that's great because it does cost money, you know, and I think being an independent creator now, you see that, you know, within, and I'm sure that you, see, you see that as well with anybody that's kind of doing something that they love that's independent. Like, you put a lot of your heart and soul into it and your own money, and, you know, it does take time. Um, you know, well, the universal challenge. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, you're fine. You're fine. You, we're, I'm just saying we're we're not no, a no. and we don't have access to millions of dollars just to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this right now. No problem. The marketing is going to pay for itself. I mean, you know, it, it is a labor of love, <laughs> and, and you really have to. You know what I mean? Like you start plugging, and 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 it's sad because a lot of a lot of uh, people will take advantage of that, man. If promotional companies that claim that, oh, we'll help you promote this, blah, blah, blah. Just give us just give us $2,000 a month. And as an independent creator, you're like, man, that's a lot of money just to give you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, like, and I can yeah, make more money yeah. back into what I'm doing. Yeah, and, and a lot of uh, – I, I would say that 98% of those offers are scams, okay, and they are. And 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 do you know what they're playing off of? They're playing off the fact that independent creators are needy little trolls. All of us are, and all right. of us want all of us want you know to be acknowledged. All of us would like to hit it big. Everybody would love to have uh, you know a Harry Potter kind of experience or whatever. But <clears throat> excuse me, the universal challenge that all of us face is getting our work above the background noise because the 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 bar to publish okay whether it's a short story a novel a comic a graphic novel whatever the 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 bar to publish is so low anybody can do it with you know even a a, a slight amount of money and and you're right it, it it's it's tough. It's so tough, and people get discouraged um, pretty easily because it is tough. You know, I've got people out there who, uh, I'd say two, three years ago, they swore to me, oh, no, you have to get on social media because that's where it's at. And, you know, even before <laughs> I, even, yeah. I, I even signed up for Facebook, I already knew what the, what the business model is. Facebook for independent um, 
content creators is is basically the, the, the business model is you get to shout about your stuff to all of the people who already know you enough times until they start blocking you because they're annoyed at hearing about your crap. <laughs> yeah. Am I right? That, that, that and, is and very so, true. You're not lying about that. And, and so that's not a business model. You know, and, and the thing is, is, um, you know, I'm, I'm watching a few, a few good friends of mine. I mean, people that I've known for a while are turning away from social media because they know it doesn't do crap. It really doesn't do crap. And, and, and so then what's the alternative? Okay, well, if you do science fiction, maybe you can advertise in Asimov's or analog magazines because then you're going right to at least your target, your target audience. But then what if you are a black content creator? You know, how does that fit into the model for analog and Asimov? You know, um, and, and then do you want to be, you know, relegated to being a niche producer? You know, one of the things right. that I objected to <clears throat> from the very beginning was when people said, oh, you write black science fiction. And I, I yeah. write science fiction <laughs> with black characters, okay? Right. And, and, and I, I write in the style of the golden age of science fiction. Okay, so to say that I'm a black sci-fi author, to me, I feel like I'm being done a disservice. And I also know how that limits the kind of exposure that I would normally get. So... Man, there, yeah. there there are so many aspects. Is like you said, you know, uh, a few minutes ago. Well, yeah, twenty five minutes ago. Um, learning how to do all of it and having to wear all of those hats is a tough road to hoe for any anybody. Even even you know, you've got five people. You know, there's the five of you, and you're still not DC or Marvel. Not that that's what you want to be, but you know what I'm saying. You don't have that right, kind right. of exposure yet. And, and so what, what has to be done for your work to reach, you know, even let's say 25% of that plateau, okay, to have 25% of the people who know about DC and Marvel learn about Edge Comics. You know what I mean? That, right, first right. of all, that would be that first – you would be hiring me to, you know, vacuum up the office and do the windows and stuff if you got to be that good because I'd need a job, and so you'd have to hire me. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? To get to that point, that would be like magic numbers for you or me, you know? But, yeah. but how do we get there? How do we get there? And that's the challenge. It's not easy. You know, we don't have... Um, well, look at, you know, I, I brought up Harry Potter. Um, what's her name? The, the author. And I don't remember her name because I don't care about her, and I didn't read any of the books, so there, fine. <laughs> um, but but <laughs> she, she ended up sleeping. Yeah, she ended up sleeping in her car because she, she had it tough, you know? I've yeah. had tough periods of time, too, because, you know, I, even though I do do some computer consulting, you know, I'm getting, the next year marks 50 years I've been in the IT field. Okay, that's too damn long to be deporting laptops, all right, and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> but so, so, you know, again, I, I face the same challenges that you face, you know, trying to figure out how to 
it, at least how to get people to notice that I've got something to, to offer. And uh, you know, one of the things that Jarvis did was he he provoked me into going and starting to go to these conventions because to me, right. up until I went to my first one, it it seemed like no, you know what it was. I'm sitting in my house going, I am not going to any any convention and sitting there at a table trying to sell my damn books, okay? Right. That, I mean, to me, that seemed like that, that, that – I, I couldn't imagine doing that. I, did, I had no desire to do that. I thought people who did that went to conventions just to do that. I felt sorry for them. But then I actually I, – I actually – um, my first one was a Worldcon in uh, Kansas City, and somebody had, I, I guess I was on a half a dozen panels, and I moderated like half of those panels. And nice. that was a whole different, that was a whole different perspective because you get visibility, okay? And so if people yep. like the way I handle a panel, if people like the way I handle them, if people like the way I handle a crowd, or I'm interesting there, I actually get to reach my exact target audience. Okay, it's not a lot of people. It's not like having a, a commercial on TV or, you know, oh, oh, like a, one of those preview things, you know, a commercial before the movie starts or something like that where you, you might hit your target audience and say, hey, this, this is a pretty cool thing. Why don't you check it out? But that's not bad because now I have people who, who follow me who actually try to find out which conferences I'm going to be at or conventions I'm going to be at and show up so that they could hear me again. So that's kind of cool. So what I've done is I've cheated, but not cheated, <laughs> a little bit cheating. Well, a little no, bit. What, I'm, a little you, bit. What, I'm using, what I'm using is the cult of personality in order to get people interested in what it is that I produce. Right. I think if people find me an interesting person, and that's partly why I do this this radio show, it's not the vast amount of money that Jarvis pays me, um, which if you doubled <laughs> it would be the same amount of money. Um, but it's not the it's not the money um, that makes me give up my Friday nights. It's the fact that uh, I've been doing this for a long time. Like I said, nearly seven years. And oh, okay. There are all of those podcasts. There are all, I mean, think about all of the black creatives I've interviewed in seven years. Nobody else has done that. So, you know, I have a little bit of cachet there. Well, some people who have heard me have bought my books. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's, that's yeah, a that leg is. up. But, but it's not, you know, it's not like I, 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 I rarely, I don't, I don't like to pimp my stuff during the show because I think that's unworthy. Um, and, and I don't think it's very professional. <clears throat> but, but, you know, your challenge is the same as my challenge. How do we get people who otherwise wouldn't know who we are to recognize what it is that we do and maybe become interested in our, you know, our output, in our product? <clears throat> For right. you, what's, what's your principal means of outreach to potential readers, to potential customers, to potential, you know, long-term consumers of what it is that you produce. 
Oh, uh, well, for tough. me. Oh, let me. Oh, let me give you a bet. You want to get depressed? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Hit down? me. I'm. I'm ready. I'm um, sitting down. Hit me. There, there's over four thousand independent comic book creators out there in the United wow. States of America. <laughs> mm. How the how the how, how you know <laughs> you just go how. I mean, when you sit yeah. there, and, and I don't say, and, and I'm joking about the make you depressed part, but, but when you realize how many people there are, and for me, stop to think about how, I, I, when I think about how many people, how many black people have written science fiction, fantasy, or horror novels in the past 10 years, because I've been published for 10 years, I, I am like not, I'm not even a drop in that bucket. You know, I am one of I am yeah. one of so many. You know, how do you how do you distinguish yourself? So I mean, for you, comics are very accessible for kids, and I think writing kid friendly comics is very smart because what you're doing is you're growing your own audience. But but do you have? I mean, have you put together a well defined strategy for reaching your target audience? And if it's proprietary. And and you think you've got a gimmick, you don't have to reveal it, but that's got to be on your mind every time you think about you know expanding your brand or or, or doing some more outreach. Um yeah, that's man, that, that's like everything you just said was like right on right on point, man. I mean, I I can attest to all of that. Um, I I think for me, like I I just started going to conventions uh, last year because so the Kofi comic came out in what October of last year. And um, we're finishing up a couple. We're working on the second one right now, along with some other projects as well. So um, we we try to stay busy that way. But I, I think for me, it's just I it helped me getting out to conventions, man. Because like I said before, it's like I I think when you have a certain idea that you have, whether it's comics or you know uh, science fiction, this or author, whatever, what have you. Um, for me, I think kind of looking outside of that as well for like a future plan helps me to keep going. So like, you know, I'm looking at something like for me, I don't just want to stay with comics. You know, I kind of want to move it while still keeping the comic aspect of it, but maybe move on to something like, you know, maybe an animation short or something like that, or an app that someone can use on a phone. And so yes. when I go to conventions, yes. I get, you know, not just who's what other comic creators are there, but what other people that are in that type of industry, you know, what they're doing, you know, this and this uh, WakandaCon, I met a couple of different uh, software companies that, you know, that will, that said, hey, you know, we like what you have, blah, 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 we'll help you develop an app, come talk to us, you know, so that type of thing where you kind of get more exposure, you know, to kids who always have a cell phone in their hand, you know what I mean? Because as much as I love comics, you know what I mean, they're, they're, that's a certain niche market, you're not going to reach a lot of people that you really want to reach. But what does is when you think about something like Netflix, you know, or Hulu or uh, Amazon, you know, if you get an an animated feature on something like Netflix or Hulu, even if it's just like 45 minutes or whatever, you know, that's getting more eyes on, you know, whatever IP that you have. And so when I go to these events, that's what I look at. So I'm not just looking at comic books. I'm also looking at how can I expand it. And sometimes you have to realize, hey, this is my lane. I like writing. I like, you know, being an artist. I mean, a sketch artist working with these people with my company, but also talking to someone else that's into software development, that's into, you know, uh, merchandising and kind of like 
collaborating with them and figuring out what's the best path for you. And so it is, you know, you, I, I think you have to have that in mind whenever you go to a convention because I think expanding your idea beyond what you're doing and collaborating with other people is kind of uh, another way for you to get out there. Um, and, I, and I enjoy doing it. And I, I think I've been in three conventions since I started running the, the comic company, and that's helped a lot. I mean, just this past WakandaCon I was at, you know, like I said, I mean, this, that's, that's been really helpful for me. Um, and also, I get to meet other people. I, I think it was uh, uh, Stefan Thomas. I met him last year at uh, at um, the event, and uh, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the event now. I feel no, so no, bad it's okay. right now, it's but okay. it was <laughs> but it was at Wayne State University. And so he's with the Creative Extreme. And at the time, their thing wasn't. Um, they didn't have their first comic done yet, but they had had they had 365 characters, you know, one for each day of the week. And so he came there with a bunch of hey. You know, for a dollar, two dollars, you can get this print of this character. This is their powers, blah, blah, blah. And so that's the way he was promoting at the time. And so at that event, you know, I had Kofi was done already, and so I was selling that. And so we got to talking and stuff like that. And so we started talking about, you know, um, collaborating on something later on. And so kind of like anybody that follows us on uh, Instagram or Facebook kind of see that him and I had, you know, had a little face off at uh, the Wakanda Con this past weekend because at some point we want our characters uh, to be able to, to fight each other it's like a one off, you know, like standalone comic. <laughs> I thought that'd be really fun sure. to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But I, I mean, mean, it's, it's you know, you have to, you, you have to have a gimmick. And I don't mean a gimmick like slick, but you have to have right. something that's <laughs> unusual. No, 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 you know what I mean. I, I don't mean right. gimmick like, oh, you know, you're, you're trying to pull a fast one. But you have to have a gimmick that raises you above the background noise. And, and yeah. that's, I mean, you know, and what you're talking about, I don't know if you're familiar with the term. I'm sure you are. But essentially what you're doing is you're, you're not going to be a comic book company for very much longer. You're going to become a transmedia company. Because what you're going to be exactly. doing is 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 you're going to you're going to farm out your intellectual property in in so many different ways that you can capture people's eyes, no matter what their own particular taste is. And all the studies right now are pointing to the fact that in in not, the not too distant future, less than ten years from now, people will be getting eighty five to ninety percent of all of their content whether it be news, weather, sports, entertainment, what have you, on their mobile devices, whether it be their phone or their tablet or, you know, their, their you know, lightweight Surface Pro type laptop, you know, not a full-blown laptop, but, you know, just uh, something that accesses the Internet. So, yeah, right. I mean, being, being able to look forward to how people are going to be doing this, you know, do, uh, uh, accessing content and then making sure that, you know, that's the direction you're going just makes a whole lot of, uh, makes a whole lot of sense. Um, well, to even, to even add on to that, I, I think that, and I, yeah, I, I, for my, I can't speak on anyone else, but just from my experience, um, you know, some, some people that you approach about certain things, ask them certain questions, you know, I, I think that, some, not all, but some people, you know, get a little protective of what they're doing, and it, it kind of becomes more of a competitive thing where, like, well, I have to get the point, you know, point C before you do, 
You know what I mean? And then, and, and yeah, so, like, once yeah. I get there, like, I'm not really worried about, you know, I'm not really worried about you at this point because I'm here and I'm doing my own thing. I, I, for me, I think that two things can be true. I think you can still work on whatever independent idea that you have with whatever company that you have, but also you have to be able to look outside of that and realize that, hey, you know what, if you decide to collab with someone on something else that's different or similar to what you're doing, you know, I think there's more strength in numbers when you combine those ideas and you move forward as one on this project. So uh, you can, you know what I'm saying? So you can have your own thing but still collab with somebody else to get more exposure. And I, I think a lot of us need to really to really understand that and, you know, and stop, you know, yeah, we are, some people are competitive by nature and that's fine, but don't let that blind you to the overall stories, the great stories that you can tell when you collaborate with someone. And so that's kind of like when I go to convention, that's kind of like what I have in my head. You know, I do, I do look at people that, hey, man, that have different type of characters than what I have. It's like, hey, I would love to, let's do a one-off comic about this, this, and this. And you know what I'm saying? Because all of us have different resources, and someone that you know might have different resources than what you have. But, you know, like say, for example, uh, merchandising, you know, someone that you might know might have access to, oh, I can get this, this many shirts printed for, you know, this amount of money at this quantity, and you might be able to say, well, I know why I can get these comics printed for this price per comic book, you know what I'm saying? So instead of you just like, you know, kind of worrying about doing your own thing, you can collaborate and help each other out and build something greater. And so that's what I, I kind of, for me, I always keep in mind when I go to different events, you know, and so I'm always looking at not just improving what we're doing as a company, but also collaborating and creating a brand new idea with someone else. I mean, that's, I, for, to me, I think that's the, the very spirit of being a creative person. I, I I have to agree with you, um, but I I see uh, I see a cultural component to to being black that that often gets in the way, and I don't know if you've noticed this at conventions or not, but there there are still too many black creatives out there who you know who are still um, they're steeped in a uh, this kind of zero sum mentality okay uh, and yeah. and they and, and they don't collaborate because they feel that any dollar that Eric makes uh took took uh, you know came out of Dave's pocket because Dave didn't get that dollar you know instead of instead right. of realizing that not everybody wants what Dave want, has and not everybody wants what Eric has um you know uh, and people choose what they want to choose People have a zero sum mentality, and traditionally, and this has been this has been you know since the Emancipation Proclamation, black black folks don't they have a tough time with power sharing. Okay, right. Um, you when was the last time you heard about you know two top black firms in advertising, marketing, technology, anything, 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 anything? When was the last time you heard of two black firms merging? Right. Exactly. You know, yeah. and and the reason why is because it, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but it's like you know, when you do that, somebody ends up being the boss, and somebody ends up not being the boss, and that seems to be a problem. Um, yeah, and, and, and I so, I think for me, like you said, that's go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, you know, how how do you get a good collaboration if that's if that's the kind of mentality people have? So I'm I'm not saying that that's what you're going to run into. That's not what I'm saying at all. I guess what I'm asking is, have you bumped up against that now that you've been to a few conventions? People who are reluctant, people who 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 pull back, people who who you can tell have kind of like that zero-sum mentality. I'm curious because if, as, as an author of books and short stories, it's not like that, not exactly like that. It's, yeah, I, I, I can that, agree to that. Exactly. I, I can agree yeah, to ahead. that. I, I can agree to that. I've, I've experienced a little bit of that um, since I've been going to conventions. Um, sure. But as overall for me, I, I, I feel kind of lucky because one thing that uh, Jeff Carroll was trying to accomplish with the uh, Florida LitCon was getting people that have literary works involved with people who are into uh, – uh, media that, that are doing movies and stuff like that and try to get them to collaborate together to create something new. And so sure. seeing that from Jeff was a big, you know, um, a big had a big impression on me because I try to follow that model because you kind of want to be more than one. You have to be more than one thing when you're trying to get into something like this. And there's nothing wrong with that. And like I said, getting together and building something greater. But, yeah, you're right. I have seen that uh, a couple of times. I ran into that myself. And so, I mean, you can't, you know, you you can't, I mean, someone's property is their property. You can't make them do something they don't want to do. That's fine. Um, you know, they just have to do their own thing. Uh, that's their right. But like I said, for me, I, I think that, you know, you can, two things can be true. You can also do your own thing while collaborate with somebody else to make something greater. Um, and so, you know, I've had the pleasure of actually maybe about, I would say maybe about 75% of the people that I've met at conventions, you know, kind of had, hey, let's collaborate on this, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, I oh, didn't that's know a good to hear. About, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know a lot about uh, this guy. Uh, and excuse me if I'm, I mess his name up. Uh, I think his name is Lane Hobbs, and he was at the uh, Florida LitCon, and he does like movies uh, just on the internet. And um, right. And like I said, I'm sorry if I'm like you know misquoting exactly what he does, but this is what I remember from my from my own head. And so when I talked to him, he said, "Hey, I had a, I always had this idea about trying to do this type of comic book, blah blah blah." you know, could you help me with that? And I said, yeah, sure, why not? So, I mean, that was kind of like our interaction. And so, you know, we email each other now. So it's just like, you know, that was the whole point of just Florida LitCon event. And so I like to see him keep doing that uh, every year because I, I think it's very important. Um, but, yeah, speaking of what you said, I mean, yeah, that, that, is, that is still true as well. I have run into people who are kind of like, ah, you know, I, I don't want to do that. You know, this is my thing. And, you know, the, the, the competitive edge is still there. But, like I said, I kind of felt like when you look at everybody else, I mean, you can, you kind of have to get on point with what everyone else that's in that area is doing because um, you see it. I mean, you know, when there are other things going on with other people from other events, they kind of that will help each other out, you know what I mean, and, and build up together. So I, I still think that's a struggle, you know, uh, some of us as, as, you know, African-Americans need to get over. And it, it's still, it, you know what I mean, It's it, we still have a ways to, to get through that. But, I mean, I, it, I think it'll just take time, you know, but I, I just feel lucky, like I said, maybe about 75% of the reactions I had have been have been positive. So I just try to stick with those people and, you know, try and push and do something new. So, um, and, and for me, it's been okay because people have responded to the artwork and everything. They really like it. And, um, you know, the most of the reactions have been pretty positive besides that, you know, that 25%. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I you know, it, it is what it is, man. I just – 
I I know the vision that I have for the company, and I can't you know let other people's stuff get in the way of that. And so you know if I want to collaborate with this person, this person on that, and they don't want to do it, hey, that's fine. I'll talk to the next person. You know, um, so I mean it, it works out pretty well for me. I just met someone at the Wakanda Con that she's into. Uh, I was just trying to think about a way to get in a shirts done and stuff like that for the characters and lo and behold uh there's one right across me she had a she had a booth and one of the things she did with a she had a comic book that she had out since 2011 and she also did t-shirts and we started talking and the price she quoted me for the amount of t-shirts that she would produce was awesome man it was like a lot cheaper than what i expected it to be and the quality was a lot better so i mean again speaking to being at these conventions and just reaching out to people and seeing what they're doing and, and, and see if there's something you can learn from them. I think you always have to have that in mind when you go. You know, you are you, you can't one-man army everything. And sometimes you have to realize that, hey, this person might know how to do this better than me because they've been in it for seven, eight years, and you have to kind of accumulate some of that, lot, that knowledge that they have and add it to what you're trying to do, and you guys, you know, you do something together. So, I mean, it's just an ongoing thing for me. I'm always learning uh, new things. Um, from people that are at these conventions as well. So, but um, yeah, I mean, two things can be true, man. And that's just kind of the way I feel about it. Yeah, and the other thing that you brought up is is so cogent. I mean, the network is strong because not everybody knows everything, and and right. and finding somebody who who does something that you need, or or even finding somebody who can answer a question for you, is is sometimes so valuable. You know, like I said, you know, when I, I first, I, I kind of messed up. I didn't, well, I messed up a little bit. My first convention I went to, it was a Worldcon, which is a big convention. You know, that's where they vote on the Hugos and everything like that. And I, I went to that convention after having the worst concussion six days prior that I, that I had ever had. I was in a car accident, and I didn't know how badly I was concussed. As a matter of fact, I had the accident on a Friday. <clears throat> and so I started doing this show, and, uh, you know, I, I took the car in. I, you know, got a ride, got a rental. It's raining. I get a SUV. I can't figure out how to get the damn mirrors out, so I'm driving, looking out the windows sideways <laughs> and everything. I get, I get home like 10 minutes before the show starts. I start the show. And, you know, everything's going pretty cool. It's, it's, uh, it's summer. It's August. And it's still light out. And, and so I, uh, I get up from my desk, you know, and I've got, I've got my, my screens open here. I get up from my desk because I realize that I left laundry in the laundry room and I have to put it in the dryer. And so I'm, I get up, I get my keys, I'm still on, I got my Bluetooth, I walk down the stairs, and I go, whoa, 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 you're on the air, fool. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it was with that kind of befuddlement that I went and did my first convention, so maybe I, I liked it more because of that, or I don't know. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but you know what? I met so many people who who are in the same boat as me. They publish books. Well, do I keep going? I'm not getting the traction I want. You know, everybody would like to have Fifty Shades of Grey Lightning hit them, you know, for their book. And, 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 you know, I get so pissed when I think about that. Do you know she wrote that on her Blackberry? Okay, oh enough. what? Don't get me. No, no, yeah, no, me man, no. Yes, yeah. Don't no. get me because that just pisses me off thinking about all that success, all that money. But 
but yeah, um, I, running into people, first of all, there are so many people sharing your experience, and it, it gets you out of your own head. You know, it, because if you, like you said, you had to learn how to do, to, to, you know, change all those hats to be good at all of those different things. And for me, you know, when I wrote my first book, I, shoot, I've, I've never written a book before. Um, fortunately, when I went to my first convention, yeah, I had a couple books under my belt, one or two. And, and so it wasn't it wasn't brand spanking new, but there was a whole lot of stuff I didn't know that I learned from a lot of people, you know, just speaking to people about, well, how do you do this, how do you do that, you know. Um, and, and that right. is very valuable, much, much so for the... Um, you know, than than the, the the collaboration thing. Although I think it's a little easier for those of us who write, because um, I've been invited and have written in other people's creative universes, and I'm I'm finishing the last book of a seven book series, and then after I'm done with that, I'm going to put out uh, an invitation for two years for other authors to write short stories in my creative universe for an anthology. So maybe oh, nice. it's not as competitive for comics, and and I would imagine it isn't because comics are tough, man. That's I have to, you know, I want you to know I admire the fact that you know you you're out there, you're putting yourself out there, you're really moving forward, you're determined to make it, and and obviously you're getting some positive feedback because things are are beginning to happen. So I think you probably I don't know if you have a a, a tougher road to hoe than an author like me but it it's not an inconsiderable thing. Let me let me ask you this, you know, for anybody yeah, who's yeah. listening thinking about putting their own own comic out, what what was the biggest lesson you learned when you really set, you know, pen and ink and and color to paper? You know, when when you figured it out that this is what I'm going to do, where was your biggest learning curve? What was the thing that you learned that that is probably the most important, either on the creative side or on the business side? Uh, the most important thing for me was, uh, let's say, okay, so the process is I'll, I'll sit down and I'll, I'll write out a script first, or what do you, you, you want to say, like a comic script. And I'll say, okay, sure. so page one, panel one, panel two, panel three, this is what's going to happen in panel one, two, three, four, whatever. Um, all the way up until maybe I get about, you know, I'll say maybe seven panels. And then what will happen is that, you know, myself and, like, for example, like uh, really what Willie Roberts I work with, we'll sit down and say, okay, now we take from those panels and when we're trying to visualize everything, what kind of keeps the flow of the story that you're trying to tell without adding too much, you know, adding too much extra stuff that you don't need. And so for me, I, I think what I had to learn the most is um, I, I try to keep it to where, when you look at one of the comic books that we make, uh, you can actually follow the story without there being any, like, dialogue on the page. And so mm-hmm. to do that, you have to have a kind of consistent flow with your images. You know, you can, you can turn an emotion of someone, you know, like yelling at someone uh, or having an argument from three panels down to one if you really need to. Um, so just stuff like that, really condensing uh, our story down to make the best use of the panels that we were using for each page. I think that was uh, one of the things that really took me a little bit to learn because I didn't want to oversaturate the reader with, you know, 
three, four paragraphs of dialogue every couple of panels while they're, you know, trying to find out what's going on. That's kind of boring. And especially if you're trying to reach out to people that don't really read comics, you know, they're not going to, oh, if I open up a comic and I've never read one before and the first page I see is this guy having a conversation and I got to read like four or five different bubbles and there's, you know, three or four paragraphs. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm not going to be interested in that. Um, so I think chopping down the dialogue and then, um, making every panel almost look like you're looking at a painting or a separate portrait. I think that would that's what grabs people. And so that's what we try to do with every single, single comic that we make. Um, and I think that's that's helped out a lot. It's helped out a lot with the flow of the story. Uh, people get in touch with the characters, I think, a little bit easier if you have that type of flow. Um, so I really had to learn how to do that. Um, that didn't take too long. I, honestly, it didn't take as long as I thought it would, but um, it, it took a little bit. <clears throat> It took a little bit of time to learn that. But, uh, yeah, I think that was the, hard, the hardest thing I really had to deal with, just the whole creative process and, and how you're adapting that to what you're trying to visualize in, in front of you. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Okay, let me, let, me, let me distill that down to just a handful of words. The efficiency <laughs> of wordsmithing. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah. No, because yeah. that's – look, comics are tough. Comics are tough because, like you said, if you have too much exposition, you know, it, it, it's too, it, it, it works the reader too hard. Exactly. You know, if you, like you said. And, and to be able to tell the story, that, that balance between the visual and the, the written, the, the, the writing, is, is that's man that's that's skating on the edge of a razor blade if you do it well because it's not easy to balance those so i i have a healthy respect for that man that's great um and and the fact that you you recognized it right away is also great because i i've read some comics you know people say hey could you read this for me tell me what you think and i'm i'm going well you know why did you give me the magna carta i can't read all this and look yeah. at the pictures, you know, you know, you can yeah. barely see who's the, who's in the panel. So yeah, that's 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 a tough medium to work in because it really requires you to be at the top of your game. You have to balance so many different elements in order for it to be effective. So that's pretty cool. Um, and and so and okay. And then let me ask you about this part. What was what's been the easiest? Uh, excuse me. What's been the hardest part? on the business side of doing what you're doing? That was the creative side. What's the hardest part that you have found, you know, doing the business side of, of publishing your own comic? Uh, wow, that's a really good question. Uh, on the business side, I would have to say going for, like, uh, distribution. So, like, hey, let's say, okay, I have this 32-page comic that's done, I have to get it printed out. Where do I go? And so I, I know now there's a lot more companies that you can submit a script to or your comic in a PDF form online. They'll print it for you, blah, blah, blah. But, you you know, you kind of really don't know the quality of the book that you're getting until you get it back in the mail. Some With some other places, that's actual print shops that you can go to that will, you know, that you can sit down with and say, hey, um, I, this is what I have, this is what I'm trying to do. And then, of course, you're selecting your grade of paper, you know, how, how heavy is it, 
And so are you going to look oh, yeah, like a sure, matte paper, sure, yeah. a little bit of glossy? And so all those have different price points. And so you kind of have to find, you know, where your price point is when you're trying to print something out yourself. So that's, for me, that was the hardest thing to do. Um, for me, like our, our Kofi comic, the very first one, um, it's a little bit heavier uh, than a standard comic. Um, because of the the type of paper that I chose, but at the same time, you know, to me it stands out more because you know it's it's got a little heft to it when you hold it in your hand, and the and the pages are nice and thick, uh, you know, almost almost like a uh, like a thicker magazine, and so I do kind of like that look for that you know for being a first print. Now that's just for me, you know, somebody else might not like that. They might like to go the standard comic route, which is fine. I can't knock them for that. But, I mean, it, I guess to each his own. But I think finding the right price point and saying, hey, okay, if you're printing out 250 copies, you know, how much are you going to pay that, that printer to print them all out for you? Um, so that, that, that is, that, that's where it gets a little tough because uh, you can range from anywhere from, you know, let's say $5 a book to 10 or $15 uh, a book getting it printed out depending on what type of paper you're using. Um, so that, that's really, that's really, um, you know, that's really hard, man. That's really hard for me. It was, uh, I, I got, I got a little lucky because, um, the company I printed with, I actually went in there with them when I had everything done and it was, uh, they're out here in DeKalb and, uh, La Print Express and I kind of sat down with them and I said, Hey, this is what I have done. I need to print this out. And so, um, uh, lady uh, by the name of Nancy, she kind of worked with me there, and she came in on days that she wasn't, you know, that they were closed, and she would open up the store and let me come in there, and we would sit down, and I, you know, would uh, put the comic together, you know, page and this, and uh, putting all the pages together, cutting them to fit sure. whatever size comic yeah. we were going to use. So that was really cool. So I got to be a part of that whole process too. So in doing that, you know, it kind of instills more knowledge in me to help somebody else that's trying to figure out how they're going to print and put a comic together. Um, so that that really helped out a lot. So I, I I feel really blessed that I had a chance to do that. But it's still a uh, it's still you know it still costs money. You know, when you're using you're using whoever's printer and like I said, what they're going to charge uh, for however so many copies you want. But yeah, distribution yeah. and printing was like the big thing. You know, because it's it's a slippery slope, man. It really is. I I've seen some comics that were printed out like that online and they're, they're really thin, it's, you know, it's like, it's not really eye catching. And I've seen other ones that were, you know, like really standard comic style look really nice. So, I mean, it it kind of just depends on what you want to do. You know, uh, for me, the way Kofi looks is uh, what I wanted to do. It's, you know, it's an, it's a nice presentation. I even have a couple of oversized editions. I kind of uh, printed out just for myself just to have this, like, you know, this is my first comic, you know, so I still have those in the, in a, in a glass case. And I just, I, you know, I read them once and they, they just kind of sit there. So um, it depends on what you want to do, man. But even now that's something you learn over time. You know, I'm still learning about distribution. And I, right now um, I know with uh, the, the media, the way it is now, like, so um, I'm getting, I'm trying to get Kofi on, Amazon right now, so you know Amazon Kindle stuff like that. So that'll be done uh, within the next month um, while we're working on the second one as well. So, I mean, you know, it, 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 it's a process, but I, I think getting out and talking to people that that have already printed something can kind of help you along a little bit because everybody has their own person they print with, and I've met people that, like I said, sent their stuff out online, got it printed that way. So I mean, it just depends on your price point and what and what you can afford at the time. Can I make a suggestion? Sure. 
Well, since you're planning on, you know, being very, very successful and uh, really, you know, knocking it out of park there, I would like to suggest that you take the larger copy, some larger copies of your comic, maybe about five of those, and you take about ten copies of the standard size of your comic, and you seal them in those comic book collector bags for posterity. Ah, yeah. Yeah, you have a very good idea. You're right. (laughs) Dude, especially those larger ones, think about that. Think about, okay, let's say you get up to issue number 50 of Kofi. Do you know how much issue number one in that big-ass size and that big-ass bag is going to be worth? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be yeah. I'll be sending you my address a little bit later for my fifteen percent for the idea, but um, <laughs> or, or or you could just you could just bring it into the city and we'll have lunch together. Um, but but seriously, I mean that's that's something that people don't think about. One of the first things that I did, I have all my first editions of all of my novels um, uh, in uh, softback and hardback sealed, you know, uh, shrink-wrapped, because I never know. You never know. You know, what if the Smithsonian calls me up and says, dude, uh, we need your stuff? Well, I'd like to be able to have something to send them. Um, And and for you especially, because um, the, the comic book industry has been around for so long, all of the standards, and I mean things like you know, how, how they're rated in terms of wear and tear, um, how they are, are sealed so that if you ever send them to a, uh, I forget what you call the guy that, who, who does the, uh, who kind of audits what you've got. There's a better word for it than that. It'll come to me. I, I, but, I mean, when you think about that, uh, that's, I think if you're going to plan for success, why not? Why not prepare yourself for success in that manner? Um, if, if for no other reason than, you know, the Comic Book Hall of Fame, wherever they end up putting that, may come to you and say, hey, what do you have for us? So that's, that's my nickel idea for you for the day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, you know, oh, one man. thing like you're saying to, to add to the business side, it just popped in my head. But that for people that are just starting out and they're trying to get their comic out there, um, right after they they they've had it drawn on everything like that. Uh, one thing for me, uh, it's also, and I forgot to mention this, uh, getting an uh, getting an ISBN. Um, so yes. I, I think for me, I went to uh, I went to I think it was Bowker B O W K E R identifiers.com and you go there and you can buy I think 10 ISBNs and um, a couple of five barcodes something like that for a couple of hundred bucks but uh, on that site you can type in what type of book you have uh, where whether it's hardback you know um, paperback what your price point is and everything and then assign it a an ISBN right there on that site so that's a very important tool for someone that's just starting out they have their their comic or whatever uh, done, and they want to get an ISBN number for it. Um, you know, obviously to identify that book, that's the best route to go for me. I'm, some other people maybe have done it another way, but I, I found on that site everything's there, 
and once you pay whatever the whatever the fee is, I think it was like for me a couple hundred bucks. Um, you can do everything in one shot. So that's something that's very important. I, I I had to kind of figure it out through trial and error because I know there's a lot of different things when people are looking at getting ISBNs. There's a way to get free ones on the web, on the web, and it was just too much. And for me, that worked out the best. Yeah, for for me, for for um, I I have another trilogy that I'm getting ready to put out. If I do it myself, I can get ten ISBN numbers for two hundred and fifty bucks, which right. you know makes a lot of sense because each one of those books will be in th- in in one of three formats. There'll be a a hard cover, a soft cover, and an ebook. And each one needs to have a different ISBN. A lot of people right. will will take their book <clears throat> and in all formats give it the same ISBN. And unfortunately, certain people, like the Library of Congress, won't take you seriously. And yeah. again, you know, you you want to be able to to be able to um, do everything properly so that you can get you know, you know essentially in order to do business. Here's here's my my motto for doing business. If you want to do serious business, if you have an idea, if you if you need to have other people buy or help you produce your work for sale and things like that, then it's up to you to take away every reason for them to say no. That's the essence of business. That's how you do business. If you're going to do business with people and you, and you need to have their cooperation, then it's your job to take away every reason they, they would have for saying no. And then you get what you want. You know, the wheels are greased. You don't have to go back and forth. You don't have to argue. You don't have to get pissed off. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that that's a real simple way of looking at how to do business. Um, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm the smartest person in the world. I mean, obviously not. Not if, if I have to do a radio show every Friday night of my life. You know, that's, that was, I don't know whose idea it was to make it Friday night. But, you know, that, 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 that wasn't very <laughs> smart on my part. I mean, the only thing that's the saving grace of that, and and everybody knows about it, is you know, I I think I'll probably be a lot more pissed off once the ankle bracelet comes off, and I don't have to be home when the the street lights come on. <laughs> but anyway, um, now in in terms of of you going forward, let's let's like look out. Maybe you know, I ask people to try to imagine where do you think you're going to be five years from now when you it, when you and I sit down five years from now for the next show. Tell me what you think, where you think you're going to be in the business, what you think you might have accomplished, and and what what are you looking at right then and there? You know, as as you look ahead to the future. Uh, well, for the future of the company, I so say five years out. Uh, I was actually for about a two and a half year plan. I was looking at in two and a half years uh, from this year. I was I wanted to have something on uh, Netflix as an animated sh- as an animated uh, show. So for okay. me, I I think that yeah. For for me, I, that's something that I, I I grew up with, and you know, I was in the anime and stuff like that. And I kind of think the with the way the industry is right now. I think a lot of uh, of the streaming services are looking for original IPs that they can have on their service, especially with Disney Plus coming out um, pretty soon. Uh, you know, you have Amazon and, and Hulu, uh, FX and uh, and Netflix. You know, they're 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 opening up their market a little bit more. I think Netflix kind of clamped down a little bit, 
uh, in the past month just because they had way too many properties that weren't making them any, you know, uh, any money. They weren't getting uh, new subscribers. Well, all their Netflix, good but... stuff got snatched out from under them too. Yeah. You know, Disney, <laughs> yeah. Disney took all the Marvel stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and you know what's funny about that? Because Disney is taking as long as they are, I'm wondering if we're going to see Luke Cage again. Are we going to see Jessica, what's her name, Jones, or Daredevil again? Will we see those? Because, you know, the, the, Man. the, yeah. the, thing, the, the challenge is, what, you know, those actors have to still eat. They still have to work. And, yeah. you know, I'm looking at, oh, uh, what is that that we just looked at? Uh, Star Trek Discovery is coming back late in 2020. Maybe it's even after yeah. that. I mean, when you have a hiatus that long, you know, if people are not working, if they're not, you know, uh, putting shows in the can, they have to work. You know, so I've right. seen Mike Coulter in a couple of movies and stuff like that. Is he going to be able to reprise Luke Cage? Can they get everybody right. back? Can they get uh, Rosario Dawson to be in all three of those shows? Can they get, you know, whoever, whoever, whoever? So, yeah, but, but you're right. Every, there are about 30 outlets out there that are looking for streaming content or are looking for content because content is king. AOL actually knew that too early. You know, uh, remember what, back when AOL merged with Time Warner, AOL Time yes. Warner? They were planning yes. on using the Time Warner vault to get stuff out to people, but we weren't in the DSL age yet. We were still in the in the dial-up um, 5600 baud modem age, and streaming content just was not was was not practical. Nor was downloading an entire show of uh, what a movie 700 megabytes you know yeah your your phone line would overheat your modem would shut down <laughs> and you'd have to dial up again and start all over oh see so yeah AOL Time Warner was really ahead of the game in terms of planning out content and and so i think that if you if you have a good project a good product rather you, you have a good chance. Now, one of the things that I want to mention, both for you and for everybody who's listening, is um, one of the things that Jarvis has done is he has put together a, uh, an animation studio for BlackScienceFictionSociety.com. Right now, it's engaged in the, uh, the, the, the homegrown movie Earth Squadron. And, nice. But, okay. he, he, but he's going to he he wants to be able to avail members of BlackScienceFictionSociety.com um, of of that equipment in order to produce movies, you know, two D and three D animated movies for um, for its members. So again, you don't have to reinvent the wheel if you get to the point where you can start putting together your your animation um you know you could you can have it refined you can have it uh whatever whatever you know that that's a resource that blacksciencefictionsociety.com has put together uh, Jarvis Sheffield has put together and um you know right now obviously they're they're currently working on this uh, earth squadron movie and 
I say with a little bit of pride, I wrote the script for it. Um, but, ah, but that's okay. a resource. Cool. But that's that's a resource for BlackScienceFictionSociety.com members. Um, and and since you're going to be into transmedia, I can see you know obviously you have the comics. You you're you're talking about being able to put together either 2D or 3D animated um, uh, renderings of your 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 comics, correct, or your characters, right? Right. And and so you know that that's another that's another resource so you know talk to Jarvis so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel cuz you you it's a pain in the ass trying to learn everything it, it just it's almost yeah. can't be done um yeah, i uh, i have some very people true. pitching yeah i have some people pitching dark side for a tv show and that's something beyond my capability i i I've, I've written movies uh my first four scripts got made um but I can I can no more do a TV show than I can. Um, what's something I can't do? Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff I can't do. I can't fly. But <laughs> but yeah, there there's. But again, that's the network. That's oh yeah, Jarvis just put the uh, the 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 link to it's www.earthsquadron.com if anybody's interested in checking out the um, uh, the latest in the movie. There's primitives there, there's graphics there, there's all kinds of cool stuff there. Um, but that that's a resource. So again, your network has something for you that will be of great utility very shortly down the road. When you're talking about two and a half years, you want to have stream, uh, streaming content. Not only do you have to have the stories done, but you also have to have the content. Because again, the art of taking away every reason to say no is packaging all of that. You know, if it's going to be one-hour episodes, then they have to be 46 minutes long. If it's going to be 30-minute 30, 30, uh, episodes, they have to be 22, 23 minutes long. So you have to have everything ready. You have to have uh, breaks in there in case people want to put commercials in. You have to do all of that because that's what they want, how they want it packaged. Um, it's it's uh, There's a lot of... <laughs> there's a lot of co- there's a lot of stuff that goes into making TV and, and making movies, but um, oh, I, bet, I, I had a I huge bet. I I had a, I had a huge learning curve myself. So, um, but it, it's you know what you're doing sounds very exciting because you've chosen a, a very reasonable and a very well graduated path. You know you you got the comic out. You're working on. You know your storytelling. You you refine your process so that you you get the essence of the storytelling, the great balance between visuals and text. And um, I I don't see how you can fail in terms of producing what you produce. You just have that same challenge that we all have, which is getting eyes on your work, so that 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 you build your, your audience and, and make some cash. Yeah, that, that, that's the one thing I wouldn't complain about at all. <laughs> um, yeah, that, and, and, and one thing I do uh, enjoy about the work is that, you know, I, I, I still, at the, at the core of everything, I, I like telling stories, man. You know, and I'm, I'm the storyteller, and I, I like creating new characters. And I, I think at, that at the heart of everything is that when I look at doing other properties, um, like I said, the uh, the Hell and Back series that we're working on right now is that's the story I can't wait I can't wait to finish telling, you know. And I'm helping 
Aaron Jesse refine that. And so for me, uh, when I go to conventions and I meet, I, I met about four, four other artists that uh, were just starting out and they were like, you know, trying to develop, develop their ideas that they had. And I'm, you know, I said, hey man, I'll, I'm definitely down to help you develop that, you know, and, and that's something else that I can help them create, and then kind of absorb a little bit of that, while at the same time, you know, still they're still getting the credit for what they're doing, and it's being absorbed into Edge Comics at the same time, and we can also keep continuing to tell more stories, you know, with whatever the IP is, and so, um, you know, that's something I look into doing as well because, uh, you know, I do try and reach out to people and do some kind of contract work as well because there's a lot of people out there with ideas and I kind of feel like for me, um, given the path that I'm on and the people around me, like I said, uh, meeting Jeff Carroll was, was, was awesome. Uh, Jarvis Sheffield was awesome as well, man. And so I, I kind of feel like, you know, when there's that younger guy that's in his early 20s that's trying to, you know, needs a little bit of direction and, you know, the, the, I don't know everything, but you know what I mean? The stuff that I have learned, I don't mind sharing that knowledge with somebody else because I was that person at one point too. And I think that's what a lot of us tend to forget, you know, is that there's still a lot of young creators that are out there that don't have any direction. And I, when I see someone with a really good story, I kind of just don't want that to be put on the wayside because they're like, oh, well, I couldn't get anybody to help me with this, blah, blah, blah. I just didn't do anything with it, you know? So, I mean, I, I, for me, taking that and making it into something that's tangible and interesting to people is just another part, you know, just another joy of the creative process itself. So you're, you're open to um, producing other, you know, other people's works, other people's comics? Yes. Yep. Very cool. So uh, anybody out there who, uh, who wants to get a leg up, um, well, now you know who you can talk to. <laughs> oh yeah, um, <laughs> I'm here, man. I'm here. You know, we can we can sit down, and we can talk, and over whatever. You know, there's Skype or email or whatever else. Um, but you know, I kind of like to meet with people and kind of get a feel of what they're trying to do, and 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 just go from there. Like I said, uh, the the Hell and Back book that we're working on right now, in addition to. <laughs> Uh, Assassin's Cadence, which is our second uh, comic book issue after Kofi, you know, that's a really interesting story. And Aaron Jesse had a really good idea, man. I'm just, you know, we're helping him, all of us as a unit, as comics as a unit is helping him develop that into a comic book. And if you guys haven't seen it, um, you know, you can look at it on uh, Instagram and on uh, Edge Comics as well. I'll make sure it's there. But I have the cover there, man. It, it's, it came out really well. Um, like I said, that was uh, uh, me and myself and uh, and uh, uh, Willie Roberts, you know, and it's just uh-huh. awesome, man. So that's the type of work I like to do. Man, I mean, I you know, it's so- it sounds very exciting, you know, the path that you've taken, <clears throat> and and the cool thing is is that you know even even kind of starting out because you you know obviously you haven't been doing this ten years, twenty years, whatever that you, you're enthusiastic enough that you still want, and, and you still want to share what you know, what you do, you know, what you've been through, and, and help other people, mentor other people. Um, have you thought about, you know, uh, any outreach to maybe kids for, you know, helping them maybe realize their dreams, doing comics, what have you, or, or have you just not gotten to that point yet? And I'm not saying that you no, have we, to. I'm just curious. It sounds like you want to, though. 
Yeah, that's uh, one thing that I do want to get more traffic on is, like I said, the contest uh, we run uh, every month on the website. You know, that's that's geared more towards kids that are 16 and under to kind of get them involved in that. And so with that whole process, uh, I have people that are helping me flesh it out more. So I'm going to more local events out here where I'm at right now in DeKalb. So that's including, you know, going to the library and making presentations at the uh, Center for African American Studies at NIU. Uh-huh. Um, so actually I'll be there this uh, this Monday coming up. Um, I'll be there and, uh, you know, I do a presentation of the, uh, you know, the Edge Comics brand and, and just trying to get it uh, the name out there more. So I'll be there this Monday and I'm going to have an event at the, uh, like I said, at the library coming up soon. I'll make posts and everything about that um, when that happens, just so people can come out and take a look at some of the artwork and, you know, if they have any questions or need help developing an idea, um, I'll be there as well. One thing that I, and I know uh, for people that are uh, listening, I think for me, uh-huh. I have an idea, seeing it in front of me visually helps me put that world together. And so that was just the feedback I got from the people that I helped, like Aaron Jesse, you know, once he saw his idea in front of him in, in comic book form, he's like, oh, man, it just it excited him. And he just started writing more and, you know, trying to put uh, get more content to us as a company to put in comic book form. So I think that helps a lot, man. If anyone has an idea out there and they kind of have it in their head and they don't really know how they want to look and everything like that, seeing a physical representation of that in your hand is very exciting. And, and once you see that that can be accomplished, that kind of drives you even more to, to keep doing it. So that's, to me, I think that's a very important aspect of anybody just starting out. Get to that point, get with somebody that can help you make that a reality and invigorate you even more to continue the, the whole creative process of what you're doing. Very cool, very cool. Well, we, we only have a few minutes left. I want to oh, man, that's it. people. <laughs> did, did it seem like two I'll come, back, I'll come back again. When's the next show? <laughs> give me, give me about 15 <laughs> minutes, man. Well, I mean, uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you. Just having a conversation um, not only makes it, and, and in all honesty, it does make my job easier because I don't have to sit here and do a big Q&A. And, and I, you know, I get to learn a lot of cool things about my guests as as the audience does, because I don't want to over-prepare, but then I don't want right. to be like every other stupid-ass show I see on YouTube where, you know, <laughs> question one doing a show like this, and <laughs> they, don't, they don't even know how to pronounce the, per, you know, the guest's name because they didn't do a damn bit of research or anything like that. So, right. yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I have to admit, though, I'm very proud of the fact that I've been doing this for as long as I have, or actually Jarvis has, has made this available for me to do for as long as I have. Um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And, and one of the things that I always repeat almost probably almost every week is were it not for this show, I never, ever, ever would have met, you know, 99% of the people who I've interviewed. And and I think the best part for me is when I do go to a convention and, you know, I'm standing around waiting for a panel discussion or something like that, and someone comes up, taps me on the shoulder and says, hi, I'm so-and-so, you interviewed me such and such a time, and I get to actually meet face-to-face the people I interview. Um, and and you, you would be the same. I mean, if you come in town and we can grab lunch someday, that would be great. Uh, 
Yeah, man. Yeah. Because, because for that. I that like, I cool. like, I like, I like meeting the people, you know? Um, and, and I learn as much from, no, I learn a lot from the people I interview because there's a whole lot of things that, that I don't do that I don't have the experience with. And then to get, to get that kind of information from, uh, from from people like you and, and and the others I interview is great, but here let me let me do my ending. Don't uh, after the show recording is over, hang on for a minute um, because okay. we, I cheat and do an after show, and then I ask all all kinds of really great questions that people miss because they only pick this up as a podcast. It's bait. That's what it is. It's bait to make them <laughs> listen on a Friday night. All anyway, right, cool. um, let's do it. I, I want to thank you, Eric, for being here, man. And it's funny that you know you're you're related to uh, to Jarvis. You you are the other chef field. Um, yeah. I want to yeah, I want to thank everybody who picks this up live, who are in the chat room. Those of you who are not in the chat room, dialed in, what have you, for listening live. It's always fun knowing that at least somebody's checking it out while we're doing it. I also want to thank the people who pick this up as a podcast. Because it does, well, it makes a difference. It makes a difference knowing that people want to find out about black creatives and science fiction, fantasy, and horror. And and I don't know any other regular show that, that at least has the depth that we have. The few places that I've been interviewed, I get interviewed for maybe 15 minutes to a half an hour. And I think a two-hour conversation does let people know a lot about who it is that, that I'm interviewing. So on behalf of Jarvis, the, uh, the brain trust between, between, behind BlackScienceFictionSociety.com, the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, and uh, who is acquiring the Earth Squadron movie through its various paces, I think it's due out in 20, late 2020 or maybe early 2021. Um, it's our Ooh, first okay. movie, so we're taking our time. Well, we're taking our time. Um, nice. Yeah, go to that. Uh, go to that link, and you can see all this stuff about it. But uh, on behalf of uh, Jarvis and myself, I want to thank everybody for checking out the show. Eric, I want to thank you very much for being here. And well, like thank I said, you, you know, I don't. I don't have to wait five years to hear from you again. Um, if you've got some new cool stuff coming out. Uh, remind Jarvis. Jarvis books all the guests. I'm just uh, I'm I'm labor, not management. Um, let him know, and he'll schedule he'll schedule you in again. So thanks for being here, man. Oh, I really appreciated it. Definitely, William. Thank you so much for having me, man. And and thank Jarvis too. I really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. All right, and uh, to everyone else, have a great weekend. I hope uh, your next week is productive, and we'll be back next Friday. Take care now. All right. Bye. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.